0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in
1: Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, Welcome to, to Unemployed, unemployed workers, workers Fight back, back. back.
0: Join your hosts and...
1: And Kevin, that's me.
0: The second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show.
1: Between 5.30 and 6.30pm.
0: Here on 3CR Community Radio. Radio.
1: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
0: for the unemployed and underemployed.
1: Everyone Everyone in in our our community community has has value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back with
0: Hello, Kevin, Anne
1: and Kev. That's Anne. I'm Kevin. How are you, Anne? How are you doing?
0: I'm good. And hello to our lovely listeners who I know they're along for the ride because they... Love their groovy macro on a Friday evening.
1: Oh, especially after the budget. They must be hanging out to to hear everything that is going through our heads.
0: The budget was like the weather, wasn't it?
1: It was just it was just damp.
0: <laughs> it was soggy <laughs> and bland
1: and just ordinary and the same old orthodoxy, the same old emphasis on rubbish. You know, things like the deficit and the interest that we're going to have uh-huh. to pay on the debt and all mm-hmm. that sort of. Junk.
0: Repairing the budget hole. I just imagine oh, him out there with his knitting needles groan, or
1: something. Groan, <laughs> groan. It was just, just. Um, there, I, I listened to uh, quite a bit of commentary on it. I was actually driving down from interstate, and it's good to listen to the radio because uh, you've got um, internet connection now, so you just run it through your phone, so you can listen to anything. So I'm listening to the ABC and all this commentary mm-hmm. on the budget, trying to find something that made sense. That's ex- where
0: radio comes to the fore, by the way, on on the road trip.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. get to listen and listen and re-listen and listen to the same thing over and over again. <laughs> uh, and the I didn't. The only thing that I uh, read that that I didn't listen to was um, Alan Kohler in the New Daily uh, had a very good article about why debt and deficits are a political choice, not an mm-hmm. economic choice. And that was the only the only thing that I've read that I went. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. But we can go through a bit of that. What what, what do you reckon we're going to talk about today, Anne?
0: Well, apart from the budget, which we will have to come back to it as reluctantly as I feel about all of that. Yeah. And I think we should give the Reserve Bank of Australia a good going over.
1: Yeah. There's stuff going on. Uh, Now, you and I, you're very smart. Um, I'm I a try. bit. I'm I a, try, Kevin. You read well. I don't. Know, do you read more than I do? I, I, think I read. I think I read more books than you do. But I think you. I think, you, I think yes. you read more yes. information than I do. Uh-huh. So I'm I mean, the
0: fact chaser. Otherwise, I just like to
1: lose myself in a book. You know how? Oh, how sad. Um, um, there you go. Um, but we're going to have. Um, uh, hopefully, if we get the phones working, we're going to get um, Avis Williamson on. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Avis is part of the. I guess the extended MMT family out there, the community of MMTers who get together on social media often, and that's how we met Avis. And Avis has been on the show before, and she has just wonderful wisdom when it comes to our institutions that are running the economy.
1: Sometimes when I'm shooting my mouth off and saying things that are totally, uh, um, what would you say, unfact-checked or just uh-huh. just random thoughts, um, <laughs> uh, I need uh, Avis's, what would you say, cross referencing on it? <laughs> yes. she'll she'll tell me whether I'm on the money or not. In other not. words, uh, <laughs> she'll
0: put you in your place. <laughs> <laughs> she, she,
1: we we trust Avis. I don't I don't trust me, but I trust Avis. But before we get there, shall we um, uh, launch into a song? Because you know when you're driving along, tell me,
0: Kevin, what have you discovered since I've seen you last? I've one?
1: gone I've gone a little bit retro. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I was listening to some oh, um, Carly Simon and some um, uh, Susan Vega and some Ricky Lee Jones. I don't know why. Mm. I just,
0: all
1: the girls. All the girls, but. Uh, But I got into uh, some PJ Harvey and and I, I missed getting properly into PJ Harvey when she was around, but I'm getting right into now. So I'm going to start with a song from PJ Harvey called We Float.
0: And you were just listening to PJ Harvey with... We Float. We Float. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> it was, it was. She's pretty
1: hard-hitting, PJ Harvey, but then she gets lovely. So, yeah, it's She good.
0: does. She does. Well, you know how we, Kevin, often listen to what the MMT economists have to say when we're talking about the national economy? Yes. And I was reading our favourite MMT economist blog. Uh, that is, of course, Professor Bill Mitchell.
1: Bill Mitchell with Bilbo. Bilbo yep. Economics. All you have
0: to do is Google Bill Mitchell blog and you will find probably one of the best written pieces on the federal budget that was handed down just this week.
1: Excellent. And he also puts in his favourite um, song of the uh, the moment at the end of his um, his uh, blog as well, quite often. He'll say, he say He'll tell you what he's listening to. And he's, always, <laughs> he's got excellent music taste as well. Bill's one of these people who's just too good at everything. It's kind of annoying. He's a good cyclist too, it's apparently. Oh, it's, yeah.
0: This time around, I thought it was really funny because, of course, we do follow the economic analysis but this time i was really resonating with the mood that bill was in when he wrote that blog piece on the budget where he actually called it the gutless budget
1: <laughs> <laughs> i haven't read it Haven't you? No.
0: but he was he was also talking about how he was so reluctant it was like doing homework i just felt like someone was forcing themselves to have to write this stuff about this budget because it was such a blare topic mm.
1: I did find something interesting in the budget. I heard this little thing uh, mm-hmm. about the structural deficit, and they they said the structural deficit was two percent of GDP, about forty billion dollars. And I want to talk about this later on. But uh-huh.
0: All right. Well, we better bring Avis in uh, because we need we need three people to discuss all yes,
1: this. Yes, Avis has a very good mind for this sort of stuff.
0: Hello, Avis. Have we got you here with us? You've got me here. Oh, we love having you.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Hi, Avis. How are you doing? Pretty good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about how the weather in Melbourne is a lot like the budget. <laughs> a bit grey and bland. <laughs> very bland, yeah. very
1: unexciting, bit, bit damp. <laughs> very
0: much, very boring. You know, what I was noticing about it was the, the, the big silences in the budget. Like, you wouldn't think that we had a climate emergency at the moment, yes. just looking at yes. that budget.
3: I totally agree. I think the budget was really about the Labor Party fulfilling some of the promises they made and no more than that.
0: Yeah, because there was a lot of talk about this is where we're beginning and this is where we're starting. I have a sense they're aiming for a second term and they just didn't want to rock any boats at all.
1: I don't think they want to rock both. End of story. Having said that, the the Labor Party have done quite a bit since they came into office. Uh, They've taken action on the uh, Integrity Commission. They're not standing on their feet. But I think there's two conversations that go on uh, inside the Labor Party. One is the, the uh, conversation that says we've got a limited amount of time, we need to do as much as we, as we possibly can, a la mm-hmm. Gough Whitlam, 72 to 75, mm-hmm. our finest Prime Minister if you ask me. He did so much in such mm-hmm. a short time. Uh, and then there's the, uh, the other flip side which says don't do too much too quickly because you'll freak everybody out and you'll end up getting booted out like Gough Whitlam. And yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and it's a bit of a balancing act. So I'm going to cut them some slack on that. Like you said, basically this was just a budget to tick off their election promises and, yes. and the big issues I reckon they're going to hopefully um, push down, you know, to the, to the next budget. If they don't, we'll be on them like
3: liking- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm hoping but I'm not optimistic
0: yeah, I'm waiting for the big projects like the fast trains between the major cities that will replace aeroplanes. I didn't see any of that in the budget. No. The- <laughs>
1: Well, they're kind of restricted, and and this is what happens in all the orthodox talk. They're restricting themselves because of this fear of debt and deficit. They're talking about yeah. this this trillion dollar um, debt. Uh, they're, yeah. they're still scared of deficits. Now they've they've been talking about their structural deficit, uh, and there are five main areas of government spending that are causing Jim Chalmers um, some problems. And these this this is the structural deficit. So structural deficit is where the programs that you run all the time cost mm-hmm. more than you can mm-hmm. uh, than you can return in through taxation which we know is not an issue but they think is important yeah. and those five areas they they've highlighted as the ndis aged care yeah. health yeah. defense yeah. and the fifth one yeah. is paying interest on the on the uh, on the on the debt <laughs> uh, which is just yeah. it, which is kind of ridiculous so the first three are really good you're talking about um, conditions for uh, dis- disabled people, you're talking about conditions for yeah. aged people, you're talking about general health, and they've cut yeah. the health budget over the next four years, which really... Yes,
3: uh, that's right.
1: That that was quite strange. Um, Defence, I do not give two hoots about. That is to me, is just some yeah. sort of weird business that goes on in the background of every government, and <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and the interest payment on uh, uh, on debt is just a joke. Mm. It's just a joke. Yes.
3: It sure is. Um, I find it hard to believe that they're uh, putting that forward
1: as a factor in limiting their spending. Yeah. Especially when you consider with the quantitative easing that the reserve bank went through where it's yeah. it's buying its own debt. So the reserve bank yeah. is buying government debt, is buying government bonds.
0: Exactly. So, so
1: the government are buying their own bonds through their yeah. through their reserve bank. Uh, and then they have to pay interest on those bonds. Well, who do they pay that yeah. to? Well, they pay that to themselves. And you go, how can there be a major expense? And then they take credit for the fact that they've got this marvellous return uh, yeah. because of the interest <laughs> that they're paying themselves on the bonds that they bought from themselves. <laughs> it's, it's so circular and so... I don't know why people just don't laugh at it, but they, they, they take it seriously.
3: It, dri- it drives me crazy that people take it seriously. But... There's not a lot of knowledge, not a lot of real knowledge out in the community about how government spending actually works.
0: Well, do tell us, Avis, just in case anyone's listening and aren't quite sure. (laughs) Tell us how government spending works.
3: They simply create it. Spread it, usually. (laughs) Once an appropriations bill has been approved by the lower house. They simply direct Treasury to create the money.
0: So once the appropriations bill that's attached to this budget that we just heard about this week, once yeah. that passes, it goes through Treasury and then the Department of Finance or something, doesn't it? Yes, that's it?
3: right, yeah, yeah. And it just creates it from nothing. Philip Lowe said so. <laughs> yes. I don't know how long ago, a couple of years ago at least, probably three years ago.
2: We can create money electronically, and that's what we do these days. Thank you. The central bank is the only one who can do that. That's the unique feature of a central bank, and um, that's why you want, this is my final point here, that's why you want a lot of governance over the process of doing that. You wouldn't want, um, you wouldn't want everyone to be able to do this, would you? Just, so you've got a governance, you've got kind of strong board with a mandate, legal responsibilities.
0: Reserve Bank Governor Philip
2: Lowe. We take it incredibly seriously, and you know, it's a heavy responsibility to be able to just create money like that.
3: Um, he said it in Senate estimate hearings, and nobody even blinked an eye.
1: Yeah. Because people don't have a proper understanding of how it works, nobody blinks an eyelid. They just sort of go, oh, yeah, Roddy, of course. Yeah, that's.
0: Then they turn around because I did hear Philip Lowe also say recently, well, the government's got to figure out how it wants to pay for all these good things. Yeah. (laughs) As if he didn't know.
2: The issue that I think is more important for us to focus on, it's not one for monetary policy, is how as a society we're going to pay for the increasing demands on the public purse.
0: Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe, speaking on ABC's 7.30, 14th of June 2022.
2: Understandably, the society wants the government to finance spending on a whole range of social services, including disability, aged care, education, and and defense. So there are increasing demands on the public purse. It's harder to find out how we're going to pay for that. So the options, as Stephen Kennedy, the Treasury Secretary, talked about last week is we can make sure the economy grows very strongly so that the pie is bigger and so there'll be more funding for everything that's the best option. Uh, Another option is to cut back in some other areas, but that's pretty hard, isn't it? And the third option is to raise more revenue through higher taxes and that comes with complications as well. So that's the bigger fiscal issue. How do we meet the uh, demands that society is putting on the public purse to provide the services that many of us want?
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Well, in some ways he's actually right because I don't think they understand fiscal operations.
1: As soon as they start talking about debt and deficit being a major issue, mm-hmm. you know that they don't yeah. understand that it's not a major yeah. issue, that we've always run yeah. deficits. Now. yeah. I've I've had a couple of theories uh, in my time, uh, uh, Avis, and I've got Uh-oh. another I've got another theory, and and <laughs>
0: this is one of Kevin's great theories, which is he's Anne's right. just going,
1: Oh no, because my theories uh, are not tested by anything. But now what I look for are, are, are patterns. Okay, so mm-hmm. the Reserve Bank of Australia has a target inflation rate of between two and three percent.
3: That's their preferred rate.
1: That's their preferred rate. At the moment, it's running hot. It's up around six yep. or seven. Um, yep. But they'd like it to be sitting around two to three percent. They don't want it at zero, yep. and they don't want it going backwards. They want to, The way I understand it is they want to put a slight forward lean on the economy so that mm. when you buy something today, it's worth a little bit more next year, which might mm. incentivize you to sell it, or um, mm. that your wages might increase by two and a half percent, which might incentivize you to buy stuff. It kind of activates people to um, become active in the economy. That's, that's my understanding of the 2 to 3% yeah. Uh, yeah. inflation rate. If you're going to increase your economy by, uh, say, 2.5%, that means that you need to introduce 2.5% more currency into the economy, I would have thought. For instance, if you're going to buy a pair of shoes and they cost 100 bucks this year, and you're going to buy the same mm-hmm. pair of shoes next year, they're going to cost 102 mm-hmm. So you yeah. need 250 more in the economy so that you can buy those same shoes next year. So I'm not talking about the quantitative theory of money where there's a fixed finite. No. I'm talking about oh, per- percentages, okay? So that's the first mm-hmm. thing. The second thing is I hear about this structural deficit, which is about 2% of GDP. Mm-hmm. Now, GDP is the total amount of money that changes hands or, or what the economy is worth. So, yeah, yeah, so if, yeah. if they want the economy to increase by 2.5% to inflation. They want GDP to increase by 2.5% to inflation. You need 2.5% more money in your economy to service this growth of the economy. Yes, I think
3: you're right.
1: And then they say that they have a structural deficit of 2%, which I reckon should be 2.5%, because their structural Mm -hmm. deficit, which includes the NDIS, aged care and health, are underfunded. So they should be spending more in these areas, which would push the structural deficit up to 2.5%. Yeah. So does the structural deficit actually fund the expansion in the economy? This is my, my very well thought out theory because I was thinking about it yesterday on the drive. And, uh, and, so, and so so if the government is that they want to reach this target inflation rate, they have to fund mm-hmm. it. They have to, they have to create the, the, the currency to fund the expansion of the economy. And it seems that that funding of it is equal to somewhere around what the structural deficit is.
0: And I'm, I'm doubtful, I have to admit.
1: You reckon it's a coincidence, Anne? All I'm seeing is a pattern. So, so what I reckon they should do, they, they want to run a balanced budget. And mm-hmm. by a balanced budget, they mean that they want to uh, receive in taxation what they spend. Yes. And then, and then we have a balanced budget, which means they want, to, they want to contribute no extra currency into the economy because everything that is spent, they want back in taxation. And what's yes. left after you bring it exactly. all back? Nothing. Okay, so what yes. they're saying is we want the economy to grow up by 2.5%, but we're not going to contribute anything because we want to recoup all of our expenses through taxation and want a balanced budget.
0: Davis, you're under no obligation to uh, confirm or deny <laughs> anything that Kevin says.
1: <laughs> is, this, is this coincidence or am I seeing a pattern here that makes perfect sense? So I would challenge the concept of a balanced budget being a budget where no money by the government is injected into the economy, which is to say a balanced budget should embrace a structural deficit that covers the the growth of GDP. I should just say that the 2-2.5% structural deficit is a necessary injection of government funds into the economy mm-hmm. to support mm-hmm. growth of 2.5%. Mm-hmm. We don't need to pay it back. We just write it off. We just give it to the uh, Australian economy and say, you need this, here you go. Yeah. What do you reckon of they that? They won't. They won't. They won't. Can you tell them? You're, you're more convincing than me. <laughs> <laughs> i <I'd> love <to. laughs> you. They,
3: they won't. They look, won't. I, just, I, I just had a look today at what's happening in Japan. Okay, And they're they're either about to or have just injected a stimulus of 490 billion yen.
1: So while everybody else is pulling back and and showing restraint, we won't say austerity, but they're showing restraint, the Japanese government is still injecting um, currency into their economy to stimulate it. That's right. So they're not scared of inflation?
3: Obviously not. Well, they're... Their um, uh, current interest rate in October was 0.1%. It's been like that since 2016.
1: So they run a, a very interesting counter-experiment to the rest of the world, don't they? Yes. Yeah. But
3: nobody's talking about it. All the economic commentators are completely ignoring what Japan's doing.
1: Do you know why? Because they yeah. don't understand. And they
3: don't understand, yeah, that's exactly it. But. They could understand if they wanted to, but I think it's not in their interests or in the interest of their employers to understand.
1: Yeah. Um, We're going to take a short break, but um, after we come back, I think it would be good to talk about how interest rates are affecting everyday people in our economy, particularly Mm -hmm. the the five-figure salary uh, income earners versus the top end of town, uh, because this whole correlation between government spending and inflation, I think we'd all agree, is fundamentally flawed. Stick with us.
0: We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience
0: of unemployment and underemployment
1: here on 3CR Community Radio.
0: There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne, but don't forget our mighty AM band catch us anytime on 855 AM keep in touch 3cr.org.au
1: so i we've talked before about uh, the impact that raising interest rates has on the economy so the theory the orthodox theory is that uh, inflation is caused by too much currency in the mm. economy and because we've all got so much money, we push the prices of everything up. So if you push interest rates up, we'll all behave ourselves and, and uh, inflation will come under control. That's mm. that's the orthodox mm. understanding. I
0: like, can you hear Avis agreeing with you there, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> how,
1: how would you describe the real reasons for uh, inflation at the moment? What's pushing up the prices? Uh,
3: look, I know that um, to a large degree it's still... Um, uh, long supply lines and shipping but it's also internally delivery of of, um, goods as well because we keep getting so many people who drive trucks going off with COVID so we've complicated it further by taking away any COVID restrictions
0: so is raising interest rates going to get us more drivers in those trucks?
3: Well, I don't I don't really see quite how it would do that. <laughs> I don't really see quite how it would speed up shipping. I don't really see how quite how it would increase the availability of containers.
1: Surely it must—it uh, would put the brakes on Putin uh, in Ukraine by putting up interest rates. That—that that, must—that must be some sort of logic. he would I... be
0: quaking in his boots if he knew we were raising interest rates.
3: Yeah, I have a feeling he probably isn't. Probably. And if—and if he is quaking in his boots, it's probably for other reasons that have got nothing to do with this end of the planet at all.
0: So what we're saying is that these are all what they call supply-side issues in the economy. That's
3: right. They're not demand-pool issues, they're supply push issues. And you can't solve
1: that by raising interest rates. Yeah, you, you follow this through and you go, you put up interest rates, well, who does that affect? Uh, predominantly, mm. it's going to affect um, first-home buyers, people who have just entered yeah. the property market, who are highly exposed. Yeah. It will affect people with investment properties who are renting them out, but they'll pass that added expense on. To, pass that on and rent to the renters.
0: If it affects yep. businesses with loans, the businesses will pass those costs on to consumers.
1: Yeah, unless they're highly exposed, which means again, the the well established businesses um, will pass it on. The smallest um, business who are starting up and are still trying to compete will fall by the wayside.
3: Uh, it also it also depends on what the business produces. Some goods just aren't elastic. That's reality.
1: So what we're seeing with these interest rates is uh, raising interest rates picks off the week. If if you are not in a financially stable position, you're a first home buyer, you're a renter, you're an exposed Mm. business, you're going to fall over. And we're talking about people in five-figure income brackets. If you're not earning a lot of money and you have to pay uh, $2 a litre for petrol, you're Mm. already having your spending curbed. Yes, you are. You don't need an interest rate to stop you from spending because inflation, supply-side inflation, is actually doing that job for you. Exactly. So all that raising interest rates does is make a bad situation worse for those who are vulnerable.
0: So we're all in agreement that raising interest rates at the moment is precisely the wrong thing to do. Avis, can you explain why on earth we're paying the Reserve Bank Governor a million dollars a year to think about raising interest rates and why they would be doing that. What, what's behind this move? Well,
3: maybe it's as Stephen Hale suggested. They're just dedicated followers of fashion.
1: <laughs> they're just sticking by I, the orthodoxy. I think they probably
3: are,
0: yeah. That's what central banks are doing around the world. So they're just following the American central banks and the IMF right. and whoever else.
3: One thing I guess is that if they don't raise interest rates roughly at the same rate as other major countries, they're going to get less interest in in um
1: in their bonds. Organizations
3: money. buying their bonds, yes. Yeah. Um,
1: doesn't seem to worry the Japanese, though. Yeah.
3: Well, it doesn't seem to worry the Japanese. Reading today, the value of the yen. Against the US dollar has dropped, which means um, anything they import from the US will have higher import costs. But as long as they're pumping money into the economy, then that's really not going to matter too much. So you do without a few things. Well, the reality is we're being hit by climate change. We're going to have to learn to do without a few things. And we're going to have to learn to do without a heck
1: of a lot more than we think now. Mm. Yeah, well, there's going to be supply chain problems are going to become very normal as the, uh, yeah. as the climate becomes yeah. disrupted.
0: So so yeah. what we, what we could be doing to ensure ourselves against these things is not raising interest rates. The better thing to do would actually be spending as much as we can. As much as we need to on climate mitigation and adaptation.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And that's- the problem I think with that is that the new Labor government don't really see that um, moving from fossil fuels to renewables is not any more than a one for one stop. How
0: do you mean that
3: well? well, we've got one fossil fuel producer, uh, one renewable producer, so everybody with a fossil fuel vehicle can have an
0: ED. Oh, I see. Yeah, you're basically swapping out your petrol guzzling car for an electric car or something like that.
3: That's not how we're going to get out of climate change. Mm. That's reality. We've got to actually change the way we live.
0: Right. So, for example, taking away the commute uh, or lessening the commute. Absolutely. By having-
1: Redesigning houses. 3 day week
0: work week, that sort of thing. You've got to think outside the box for all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, they're not doing that, or at least I haven't seen any evidence of it so far. So going back to this interest rate thing, because it is something we (laughs) unfortunately have to deal with whether we want to or not. The three of us are all in agreement that they shouldn't be doing that. I had a little question, and I I think I solved it for myself, but I'm not sure. I I wouldn't mind running it past you, which is Mm -hmm. when the RBA puts up interest rates, literally Mm -hmm. what it does is it makes an announcement. And it makes an announcement that it hopes that the commercial banks are all paying attention to. (laughs) Oh, they will be. Yes, which is to say we are going to put the cash rate up. And the cash rate then translates into the interbank rate, which is the rate that the commercial banks lend to each other. So Mm -hmm. they're lending reserves to each other at this Mm -hmm. interest rate. But... Commercial banks do not lend out reserves when, for example, Mm -hmm. we have mortgages or we take out a loan Mm -hmm. to buy a car. So I was trying to understand why do the commercial banks then jack up the price on mortgages if they're not (laughs) lending out these reserves? I think the answer might be because they can. Ah, I thought there must have been some actual, I don't know, mechanism in there that Required them uh, to do it.
3: I strongly suspect it's because they can.
0: Well, that I am enlightened, Avis. That is very interesting. <laughs> news. So,
1: so I'm still a little confused on this because, uh, and and I honestly don't uh, don't understand this. If if interest rates go up and people are paying more mm. interest, mm. that money then goes to the banks. Mm. I thought they might be required to hold that in reserve because of their interbank lending that they needed to up their reserves to cover the interbank loans that occurred, the overnight uh, exchanges, uh, mm-hmm. and if they didn't have the reserves to cover the, height of the the increased interest rate, that they'd find themselves in trouble from the regulator?
3: Yes, yes, quite likely. Uh, I don't know how the um, commercial banks do their calculation. My suspicion is that it's a calculation that's got a lot of holes in it. Mm -hmm. and uh, what seems to be the best number is the one they choose. I don't think there's any real rationale behind it. Hmm.
0: (laughs) This is where we often come to with this economic stuff, when you dig and dig and dig, and eventually you find oh, someone was having drinks one night and they wrote a number on the back of a napkin, and that was it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Now, if anybody out there in the listener world has some information on what happens to the money, that the extra money that's paid in interest rates... Where does it go? Where does it go? Um, it goes to the banks, but are the banks obliged to hang on to it? Or this this is something which I'm a bit confused about.
0: I was,
3: I was also having a look at ANZ figures in New Zealand in the last week or so, and they're one of the major banks in New Zealand, and they have literally doubled their profits.
1: That's a pretty right. good indication of, of where the money That's goes. That's where the money ends up
0: pooling, <laughs> it, the finance uh, sector. That's where it ends yeah, up at.
1: Yeah,
3: Yeah, I would say so.
0: So um, they're the winners mm-hmm. out of all this and your average renter, your average pundit trying to get into the housing market, they're the losers.
3: Part of the problem, I think, is that, we, that for the last 20 years or so, at least, we've seen homes as assets, not as somewhere where people live. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're all in agreement on that. If anybody has any information on this, they can contact us at our email address, which is, Anne?
0: Radio mmt at gmail.com. So, radio mmt all one word, at gmail.com. Just shoot us an email, and we would just love to have your input on this, Please. because we don't always know the answers. Please
1: inform us. <laughs> now, I think we need to um, go to a song, just to let our brains reset. Uh, we'll wrap up the show afterwards with Avis, giving us her fine summary of, of how we performed today. I like to get a scorecard. I'm always impressed by your um, a tick of approval on anything we say. Yeah. But uh, we're going to go to a song uh, which is released today by a band called Fill in the Tiles, and this is a song called uh, Trepanation. That was Phil and the Tiles. They've got an EP released today. Hot off the press. You don't get any quicker than that. I don't think anybody's played that song on radio so far, so we're the three, 3CR. Here we are. <laughs> of the, Trepanation was the name of the song. They're playing at the Curtain Hotel during November. Keep an eye out for them. But where were we? We're we speaking to Avis?
0: We were speaking to Avis, and Avis pointed something out to me that i had never thought of before. So, of course, we all know about the trillion-dollar debt myth. If we've been... Uh, Listening to our MMT people, we know that that is actually the money supply in the economy. It's not a debt that Mm -hmm. we have to pay back. But Avis, you had something to say about what this raising interest rates mean for making that so-called debt bigger. Well, when
3: they issue bonds, they specify the interest rate. So previous bonds would have been issued at previous interest rates. So, bonds issued today will attract a higher interest rate and it doesn't change the bonds that the interest rate being paid on the bonds that have already been issued.
1: Right. The other thing with the interest that they pay on bonds is that actually stimulates the market. The interest that is paid is Mm -hmm. a new currency creation into the economy. Mm Because it's uh, it's additional to what the bonds are paid it out. It is
0: new money, but I wouldn't That's call right. it a stimulus because it just goes back into the ANZ's <laughs> coffers. It depends,
1: <laughs> depends where it goes, doesn't it? It uh, yeah. stimulates what, profits for the banks or uh, the bondholders? The
0: bond thing I want to mention before we uh, head out of here, there is a review of the Reserve Bank that has been set in process and people yes. can go online and have a look at this. It's mm-hmm. at rba rbareview.gov.au. The submissions close in a couple of days, but anyone, yeah. including our lovely Larry and Larissa, could go and tell the RBA exactly what they think of it. Mm. Um, yeah. But Avis, uh, have you managed to put in a submission to this review yet?
3: Not yet, but I will do in the next 24 hours. What I've done is have a look at the RBA and its subset, the Office of Financial Management and Treasury, and have a look at their performance against the International Standards of Organization quality management model. Quality management system requires you to know the needs of your customers, mm-hmm. um, and to be able to demonstrate how you meet the customers' needs. That's really the crux of a of, of a quality definition. And I think I think they know the needs of some of their customers, but they ignore the needs of a whole big, huge number of customers. Ah. After all, after all, they are here for the people in this country, not just the banks and the financiers.
0: It's a different angle you're taking, Avis, to look at quality assurance to see whether Mm. the RBA is actually fulfilling its mandate, which supposedly Mm. is full employment Mm. and price stability. When
3: you have a quality system, you set yourself some objectives and you measure your performance against those objectives and that tells you whether your quality system is effective or not.
1: That should tie into um, Jim Chalmers uh, he was talking about this well-being budget. Now the wellbeing yeah. budget, we we're getting somewhere to the the quality control that you're talking about, which is how does this affect the Australian population, they are the customers. Well, not
3: only not only how does this affect the population, but how do you measure the impact effectively? And um, a well-being budget is a great idea, except could go long way further than just wellbeing. And the difficulty of measuring well-being is well-known. Yeah. Ah.
0: Yeah, so that would be wonderful if we had a Department of Well-Being measurement. (laughs) I
1: can't see it. No. Well, well, it could, it could happen. Who no, knows?
0: I love that the the, uh, the mainstream complaint about the RBA at the moment is that the board is filled with market leaders, and they want yeah. experts in. Which, when they say experts, I'm a little bit worried that they mean mainstream economists. Oh,
1: we heard from wow. that uh, that guy the other day that I, I told you about the uh,
0: chief economist at Australia Superfund. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah mm. but well, look, we've got to wrap it up soon because uh, Mafalda is coming up soon uh, with her. What you two
3: need. What you two need to remember is that X is an unknown quality and spurt's a drip under pressure.
0: Say
1: that again.
3: X is an unknown quality. Yeah. And and spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: With that, we shall uh, end the show on that on that very fine note. Thank you very much for uh, joining us today, Avis. Uh, you've, Thank you. I've you've, enjoyed it. You've added some quality that we um, uh, sometimes need on this show, especially when I'm around. Um, uh, we're going to sign off and hand over to Mafalda.
0: Thanks for joining us. We'll see you uh, in a week or two, Kevin. In a, in a
1: couple of weeks. Catch you then, Anne. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back.
1: Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR.
0: Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au.
1: We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne.
0: And I thank you, Kevin. Oh,
1: no, the pleasure was all mine.
0: Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine.
1: You mean all the pleasure was yours?
0: Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one.
1: <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means uh, there's no pleasure for me at all, and I, oh. I quite enjoyed myself. So if you've got all the pleasure, then what, I had no I had no pleasure?
0: I think we should share the pleasure.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure, because, you know, like, I don't mind you having pleasure, it's great. You have as much pleasure as you like, but don't take all the pleasure.
0: Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you, and it was pleasurable. I
1: think we've got a multiplier to play that here. That means it's doubly pleasurable. So if you're a pleasurable viewer, the first person is out of a pleasurable paper on a twice-plus.